This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. There are so many things we are not supposed to talk about. Our sex lives, our bodies, our mental health. But I want to invite you into conversations that will make some of the tricky stuff less intimidating. Hey, my name is Anita Rao, and I am the host of the award-winning podcast Embodied. We're a show that doesn't shy away from the taboo and takes on everything from diet culture to growing up mixed race to how AI is changing our relationships. Every Friday, you'll find a new episode diving into important questions about our bodies and society, and nothing is off limits. Listen to Embodied wherever you get your podcasts. So I'm in the middle of Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, And if you've never been to Greenwood, it is a grand cemetery with rolling hills and willow trees. And it feels like it's been plucked out of Savannah, Georgia or something. And there are thousands and thousands of people buried there. But it was also designed and intended to be used as a park. Um, And it is a place where people gather in community for concerts and all sorts of programming throughout the year. And that day I am there as a moth intern to help assist on a show. And we're about to start mic check. It's twilight, and so the sun is starting to really dip behind the horizon, and the sky is purple, and there are crickets uh, in the trees, and there are owls also in the trees. And it is definitely a spooky feeling, a spooky atmosphere, um, but it's also really calming because it's a moth show. And the producer is tapping on the mic, you know, mic check, one, two, one, two. And there was a violinist there that would be playing between some of the stories, and so they're tuning their violin. Um, But the most important people to have at a mic check for the moth are the storytellers who are running late. Finally, the producer gets word that their shuttle van has arrived, and she asks me to go pick them up. And I knew that it was going to be a little bit of a walk to get to the entrance, but it was down a hill and there was going to be music that was playing to welcome the patrons, the sort of like organ style gothic music. And so if I just kept an ear out for the music, I'd be able to find my way. So I'm walking down the hill, but somehow I make a wrong turn and I keep walking a little bit, pretty sure of myself that like, oh, I've been hired as a moth intern, I can do anything. Uh, But I look around and I realize I'm now standing in a pitch black cemetery because the lights from the moth venue are far behind me and I can't hear any music. And it's like the shadows are coming alive in front of me and so I start running. And I'm crunching on leaves and I'm trying to not trip over tree branches and roots, um, but I'm just not hearing any music and I'm frantic and I realize I really have to pee and now I'm gonna be known as the moth intern that peed in the middle of a cemetery and didn't get her work done. But finally, I make a turn and I can start to hear the organ music and so I just follow it and I'm at the entrance and I've slowed down my breathing enough to not scare the storytellers and I collect them Uh, and it ended up being a beautiful show, but. You know, in that moment, running through the cemetery, uh, I felt way out of my comfort zone. And that feeling of fear, that's something that I've definitely felt many times throughout my life. Grown. 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 I'm Fonzo. And I'm Aliza. And this is Grown, a podcast from the moth full of stories about what it means to grow up. 
this episode, we're heading into a theme that can carry a lot of weight. We're going to be talking about our comfort zone, about feeling safe. Yeah, about what happens when we spread our wings, but also what happens when we're forced to grow up sooner than we'd like. First, we have Davion Walters. She told us last year at a moth education program, Grand Slam. Heads up that this story deals with sexual harassment, so if that topic is difficult for you, feel free to skip this story. Here's D'Avion, live at the moth. I just realized that my anxiety also is a procrastinator like me. I don't get nervous until the last minute. <laughs> but um, I think that segues into me being an introvert. And I've been adopted by an extrovert since middle school. My best friend, Rainique, has been with me through thick and thin. And honestly, she's loved and supported me when I felt like I couldn't do so for myself. And she's been able to not only support me, but push me out of my comfort zone. And she sort of reminds me of this shirt that I bought. Um, going to an all-girls school for middle school and high school, my wardrobe really did reflect me being a homebody because I either wore a uniform or pajamas. But I was trying to make it a mission to update my wardrobe. And I saw this shirt for $3. And I'm just like, I have to buy it. It was like the best cheap material ever. I wore that shirt to pieces. It was horrible quality, but it felt amazing and it felt so comforting. And I almost put it back because it had said savage across the front. And I was like, that's not me. I'm not a savage. But I heard her voice in the back of my head and she said, it's just a shirt, buy it. And so I bought it and I wore that shirt on the day that we decided to go hang out at Coney Island. I don't go out often, but when I do go out, I try to stay out for as long as possible. So it was surprising, even though it shouldn't have been, that it was midnight when we finally like realized. And we had to get home, we had trains to take. And instead of taking the one train that would have took me straight home, I decided to take her series of trains so we can spend more time together. And that means that we transferred like three times, but it, it was worth it. And we're walking in the station hand in hand because it's her way of sort of grounding me when we're on the train because she knows that it could be a little triggering and sort of out of the corner of my ear. You know when you see things out the corner of your eye, but I heard it. Someone's just like, I'm about that savage life, 21 Savage. and. I didn't, it didn't connect, you know, the extension cord wasn't reaching the outlet because <laughs> the train was here and we get a window seat and it's amazing and I, we turn our phones off because our batteries are dying and I, for safety reasons, but also I want to listen to music on the walk home. So we sit there, but there's a guy that's sitting across from us and he leans in and says, can I ask you a question? And I don't know what to do, but he proceeds to say the most lewd and explicit thing I've ever heard from a stranger. And everything stops. I freeze. And my first reaction is to giggle. One, because I'm a nervous laugher, I'm very awkward. But two, I was kind of wondering where he get all this audacity from? Like, I can't even say an order at Starbucks without getting nervous and he's just coming out of his face to a whole stranger. And I feel like my best friend saw my panic and immediately she defends me and she tells him, leave her alone, don't talk to her, we're not interested. And I guess my astonishment and her argument 
was more exciting to him. And he leaned in closer and he's still talking to me and he's arguing with her and she's going back and forth with him. And my mind is blank, but like racing at the same time. And all I can do is take her hand and stand up and walk to the other side of the cart. And he follows, he walks to the other side with us and I'm holding on to the pole and she's standing next to me at the door and I can see him now fully. I notice how much taller he is than we are. And his eyes are like yellow and cloudy, but also one of them's red because it looks like a blood vessel burst. And he's holding a can. I don't want to look at his face, but I don't want to look away from him. And so I stare at the can and it says grape soda, but there's no way there's soda in that can. There's no way he's sober. And he's leaning against the pole where I'm holding on to it and his chest is touching my hand and he's so close to my face and I don't know what to do and I start to panic. And I look at my best friend and I say, let's go, let's go to another cart, let's move. And she says, no, he's just gonna follow us. We gotta stick it out for this one stop. It was one stop and it felt like the longest stop of my life. And I grab her hand again and we're waiting in front of the door and he's still talking about my body and what he would do if he had the chance. And I look around and I realize no one's doing anything. They're looking at us, but why is no one helping us? And the doors finally open as we get to the station and we rush out and he is behind us. And we stop, we get to the point where our paths diverge. She was going uptown and I was going downtown and he sort of changed his tune. Now he's sweet and he says, you know, I know I said some perverted things to you guys, but I didn't touch you, which isn't true. And I stopped when you said stop. I'll leave when you tell me good night. And she again, argues my best friend is defending me and all I can think of is I need to get him away from us. Like no one helped us on the train and there's even less people on the platform now. And so I say, good night, sir. And he walks off and he walks onto my side of the track. And so again, we stand and we wait for what feels like 20 minutes. It feels like so many trains have passed and she grabs my hand and we walk down the stairs. She puts me on the train when it comes and she waves. And I see her walk over to her side of the train and I can't help but think, who's gonna watch her? She did so much to defend and protect me and what did I do to help her? And the train pulled out of the station. I see my reflection in the window and my shirt says savage. And I don't feel very savage in the moment. And I realized that it was my shirt that got his attention, it was my body that he was talking about, it was my fault. And I put us in a dangerous situation where she argued back with him. And I carried that for a while. But that was about like five, four or five years ago. I've learned some things since then. And more importantly, I've had conversations with the people in my life about their experience with harassment and assault. And I saw the statistics. I did the projects in my college, but I also talked about it with my best friend. And she let me know that our relationship still stands and that it was just a shirt. And so with her help, I can stand here confidently today and say that it was just a shirt and that it wasn't my fault and that it wasn't her fault. 
And I don't know who needs to hear this, but it's not your fault either. Thank you. That was Davion Walters. Davion said that her younger self would describe who she is now as a person who has finally embraced their weirdness and will never conform to typical again. Up next, we've got a story that comes at the topic from a different angle. But first, Eliza, let's give some space for Davion's story. Yeah, absolutely, Fonzo. This story, it, it it's a heavy story. It really, it resonated with me a lot, experiences I've had on the train growing up and navigating the world uh, as a young woman. And something that I keep coming back to in the story is how she, you know, describes herself as an introverted person. And so getting this savage shirt was her stepping out of her comfort zone. Uh, and that's such an empowering moment where you you realize that Diavion's kind of internalized her friend's voice to get the courage to buy this shirt and to wear it. And I feel like, I don't know, maybe we've all been there where you are excited to present a newer version of yourself and a grown version of yourself uh, by wearing something or doing your hair a certain way. And you just sort of feel like, oh, yeah, this is it. I'm stepping into my power. And to have that, that man on the train try to take that power away from her is really, really heartbreaking and obviously very upsetting. And I, something I really appreciated about this story was Diavion's honesty, that it took her a little while to get to a place where she was able to say that it wasn't her fault. And um, I think that there's maybe pressure, like if you have a situation like that, to just sort of shake it off and be like, okay, I'm just going to move on and it's okay, and that didn't actually affect me. And she was honest with the fact that it did affect her mm-hmm. and that her power, she felt, was taken away from her a little bit. Um, but through talking with her friends and through, um, you know, just time and growing, she was able to reclaim that power again. Uh, and I think that's just such an important message of, like, you don't have to be okay when something really awful happens to you. Like, Take the time you need to heal, whatever amount of time that is, you know. And for her to have a friend that she can talk to and uh, work through this with, I think is incredible. And shout out to her friend. She sounds amazing. But yeah, the world can be a really scary place and you are not obligated to be okay with that in any way. You don't have to accept anything, Mm -hmm. anything. Realizing that it's not your fault. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not, and and that's like, that 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 is everything. That's taking it back from the man on the train. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah, I love that she ends with that message. I think that is something I wish I heard a lot more when I was younger. I think um, the first time I was catcalled, I was twelve, mm-hmm. and it was the first time that I wore this new purple tank top that was like cut just a little bit lower than all my other tank tops. And I remember thinking like, oh, it's because I wore my new tank top. And I was 12. And it was a man like hollering out of a a car window. And um, I will say, I do feel like because of the Me Too movement and the way that our society has grown since I was 12, it is something that is said a lot more. And I think that um, there are definitely more of these conversations happening, which is 
uh, incredible. And um, but I get cackled all the time. I'm I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because it's freaking ridiculous, and I don't know how to deal with it very well. Um, and it makes me really, really angry. But then I'm like, I'm not in a safe space where I can clap back all the time. And so I just stay silent. And I have been trying to learn to like find power in my silence, that I'm taking ownership of my safety in this moment by not saying something. And that's really powerful. There have been times where I'm able to say something back because I'm in a crowded space and that feels damn good too. But <laughs> uh, I think doing doing what is best for yourself and making sure that you are um, you're staying safe in the way that you can is really important. Yeah. And and I think Diavion does that in her story and and having her friend there and her friend recognizing how to keep Diavion safe by waiting for her waiting for the trains to go, for that man to leave, holding her hand. Like, it is sometimes the littlest things, just waiting for a train to pass and holding a friend's hand that can make us feel incredibly safe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I'd love to hear, how do you work to be someone that others feel safe with? Wow. Yeah. I feel like it's something that I've worked on a lot. And it's something that I've, over time, learned more and more about. And just being aware of, like, my surroundings and who I am and how I affect people, the things I say. Mm -hmm. Being aware of my, my spatial existence, you know what I'm saying? When I walk into a room, how I'm perceived. But it's an adjustment, especially being, a, I feel like, a guy. I, I'm, I'm six foot tall. Mm. I'm, I'm kind of, like, strong. And I'm... I am an African-American male, so it's like from a young age, adjusting to that. You know what I'm saying? Growing up, being tall and, and all this and all that, your presence is, people are aware of it. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? And I had to adjust that, especially going to school, college in the city, and moving from those social spaces that I knew as the Bronx in my high school. And then adjusting that, having to be on the train or being out late nights at parties and stuff, I always am aware of who I am. Do you mean like you had to adjust um, how you move through spaces to keep yourself safe? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I, I want to keep myself safe. Mm -hmm. And to keep myself safe from other dangers is like being aware of my presence. Mm -hmm. I am. I, I don't want someone to perceive me as a danger. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Or, or this and end up in a situation getting hurt where I don't come back to my family, you know? Mm. And that was like, and that comes from situations, you know, being out late night, having fun. And then all of a sudden someone has a problem with me for, you know, how I look or something. Mm. Or maybe I was in a, I was standing in a certain way and someone perceived me in a certain way. And, you know, I just, I just, for me, safety is everything. Mm. I have two sisters. I have a girlfriend, which I love very much. I think about their safety a lot. I think about my own safety. So, I'm sorry that you've had to change yourself so that the world is a safer space for you. Yeah. I mean, it's not sorry. It's just I adjust and mm -hmm. I'm aware. And no matter what, the feedback that I get from knowing that I'm aware mm. of my presence and how I am perceived, even though it does, shouldn't matter how people think of you and it doesn't matter, I want to be perceived as a happy person, as a good person. Well, so I, I perceive just, you that way immensely, Fonzo. I perceive you that way, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
awesome. Tafonzo, this has been such a lovely conversation. Maybe my favorite conversation with you. Thank you for creating such a safe safe space. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. This has been one of our top three conversations, <laughs> or maybe even number one. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like I've learned a lot. Mm. Just just from this conversation. Thank you. Yeah, and thank you to all the listeners for um, for sitting with us uh, in this conversation. And you know, while we've obviously had a lot of um, insights into this into this theme, we are not experts, and there are people out there that have really amazing resources and expertise uh, if you need them. And so, um, if you've experienced sexual assault and want to talk about it with someone, you can reach out to the National Sexual Assault Hotline. Their phone number is one eight hundred. 656 hope so that's 1-800-656-4673. Comfort zones can be a space that make us feel safe, but they can also be a starting off point for us to spread our wings. Our next story really dives into that. Iana Banfield told this story at the 2023 Mothball. Here's Iana live at the Moth. I am 17 years old, and I have never been anywhere without my mom. Now, I know that sounds ridiculous because, you know, I still have to go to school and stuff, right? Well, even when I am not with my mom, I am with my mom. (laughs) I could be hanging out with my friends in an area that has nothing to do with where my mom should be, and when the hangout ends, my friends ask me, oh, what train are you taking? And I'm like, My mom is in a deli that's about a block away from here, so I'm just gonna meet up with her. And they're like, are you serious? How does your mom always manage to know exactly where you are and the exact right time to pick you up? Is she psychic or something? I'm like, yes, because she has to be. I am her only child. I have around 14 food allergies. I'm a severe asthmatic and I've had more near-death experiences than the typical human being. So obviously, if something were to go wrong, my mom needs to valiantly bolt out of the nearest deli with an EpiPen to come to my rescue. It was pretty simple. Yet, even when I explained this to my friends numerous times on numerous occasions, they would always follow up with the same irritating warning that soon I'll be going off to college and my mom will be able to hide in a nearby deli on campus to come to my rescue. But I liked how things were, and I knew I would be fine. Plus, there are a lot of delis nearby that my mom can hide in. I'm sure there are. So I just accepted that my first time being away from my mom would be when I go off to college. However, my guidance counselor decided to test this theory a little early. So she announced that we would be having an overnight field trip to Washington, D.C., which is about maybe five, six hours away from New York City. I was excited. I saw this as a test and a chance to finally prove to everyone that I can be independent. So I signed up, I packed my bags, and then three weeks later, I was on the road to Washington, D.C. So when we first arrived, everything was pretty typical. It just felt like when I would hang out with my friends back in New York. However, I will admit that when the sun started setting, it felt odd because this was a time where I would normally say goodbye goodbye to my friends and then go see my mother. But instead, I was not going back to my mother. I was going to a hotel. 
And when we pulled up to this hotel, it wasn't really giving the warm, friendly, welcoming vibes that a hotel should give. It was very eerie. The paint was peeling off the walls. The hosts were giving us like weird grimacing looks. And like, it looked kind of like if the Adams family decided to open up a hotel. That's the best way that I could describe it. And my guidance counselor arranged for us all to be on the third floor because that's where the surveillance cameras were and that's where she would basically keep an eye on us to make sure that we don't step out of line. But when we got to this third floor, there was this insufferable smell of cigar smoke everywhere that we went. I have really bad asthma, so I was not having it. And my friends, they did not want to smell cigar smoke while they were trying to go to sleep. So my guidance counselor trusted us enough to move us to the second floor, which was where all the guests were. And basically, we were completely on our own because our guidance counselor was going to be upstairs and there were no people around to make sure that we don't step out of line down there. So my friends and I, we were excited because we felt like we were real grown-ups, like we were the cool teenagers who are going to be on our own and who could stay up an hour past curfew. So that's basically what we did. We stayed up an hour past curfew, we threw around more jokes about the hotel, and finally we got a little bit tired and decided to go to sleep. So as I was resting my head on the pillow and about to drift to my dreams, one thought came to my mind. I was like, this independence thing isn't so bad. I don't know what anyone is talking about. And finally, I drifted to sleep. So a few hours later, I'm in my dreams, you know, I'm vibing, I'm having a good time. <laughs> and then suddenly, I hear this strange sound. It's like, beep. And I'm like, hmm. What is that? Then I smell the familiar scent of smoke, and I'm like, wait, what is that? And so I get up, I'm like, what's happening, what's happening? I look around, I see my friends, our hair is all crazy, everyone's all disheveled. I look next to me, and I see that the clock says five in the morning, and then someone yells, fire! And the first thought that came to my mind was, Oh my God, I should have never left my mom. I am never leaving my mom again. And then I'm frantically ripping my head around and I'm like, where's the deli? Now would be a great time for my mom to fly out of that deli right now and come to my rescue. But there is no deli and there is no mom. There's just me and my friends. So I knew that it was up to me to get out of here. So quickly, I don't waste a single second. I grab my bag, because I know that has my phone, my pump, and basically everything I need. My friends and I take one look at each other, and we just bolt out of the door. And we bolt out of the door. We see that all the smoke rising. It's getting thicker. It's hard to see. And I feel the dread pulling up within me, but I push it down, because I'm just trying to focus on getting the heck out of there. So we run down what feels like endless flights of stairs so that we can get to the nearest exit, which leads to the lobby, which we were hoping would lead to the actual exit where we would escape the hotel. So we run to the door. And finally, after taking a few turns, we see it at the end. 
and we're celebrating. We're like, oh my God, we're making it, we're making it. So we run fast. My friend pushes the door. The door doesn't budge. The door is locked. And I see the smoke rising higher and higher. It's getting harder to breathe. And I look around. There's no other way out. And I know that if, God forbid, we were stuck here, I would be the first one dead because of my asthma. And it just seemed like the world was always plotting against me. So I knew that I needed to find another way. And then just then, a light bulb flashed over my head. I remember that earlier, while my friends were exploring the creepy hotel and making fun of it, there was, this, there was an exit, like kind of in the stairwell. It was hidden in some weird, creepy corner. I mean, it was like some fire escape, clearly. So it should have been in plain sight, but it happened that way that it was in the corner. So my, I tell my friends, I'm like, we have to go there. And so we're crossing our fingers and praying, and we run to that area, hoping that that will be our way out. And finally, we see it in the corner. My friend runs towards it. She pushes it open. The door opens. The wind rushes our faces. The fresh air graces our lungs, and we're safe. And I, I look around, and I see the familiar faces of my classmates. I see the guidance counselors. Everyone's okay. No one got hurt. And firefighters come and extinguish the fire. But as I'm standing there, bewildered at the fact that just 10 minutes ago, I was fast asleep, I realize that I made it out of that fire. And yes, I was scared. And Yes, my mom wasn't there, but I took care of myself. I took initiative, and I'm alive. So if I could survive a fire in a sketchy motel in Washington, D.C. without my mom, then I could survive just about anything. Thank you. That was Iana Banfield. When we asked her how her younger self would describe her now, she said, as a butterfly. Since I grew into a free young woman who is no longer afraid to explore all that the world has to offer, I am now unstoppable. Snap, Sienna, that's amazing. If you want to learn more about the storytellers we had on the podcast today, check out grownpod.com. And you can always follow us on Instagram or TikTok at grownpod. So you probably want to know more about Iana and her mom's relationship. Well, we did too. So we decided to bring them together. Here's their conversation. Hi, I'm Iana. Hi, I'm Chantel, and we're in the Moth Studio. So, Mom, I know it was my story was originally like kind of a surprise to you because I purposefully didn't tell you that it was about you. So, can you take me back to the moment when you first heard it? I want to know how you felt. Oh my goodness, I was so surprised that the story was about me, and as you told it, I was blushing, and it was such a great story. And I really, really was surprised and, and, and enjoyed it. I'm so happy you enjoyed it. It was really funny to tell everyone about, like, because all my friends, they already know you as, like, the overprotective mom. So it was really cool for me to, like, be on stage and tell everyone about, oh, it's the deli mom. Like, my mom's always in the deli. So because 
I feel like a lot of kids actually don't necessarily realize how like they don't necessarily acknowledge how big of a role their moms play in their lives and stuff like that and they're some parent I mean some children actually get like kind of annoyed they're like oh my god oh my god my mom is so overprotective oh my god she's always like over my shoulder but I actually like always appreciated it and I always actually like kind of found it funny so I thought that was like a really nice way to show you how much I actually appreciated it yeah especially in light of the way we were coming out of COVID it was so empty and we were trying to navigate this the big city when so many people are working from home. The trains are so empty. And I want you to have that teenage experience. But then I also am concerned about safety and different life experiences because the amount of friends that you would have actually navigated the city with, a lot of people are home because they're scared because it's a different world now. So I'm I'm happy that you were still able to socialize and live your life, but I was there ensuring that everything goes okay. <laughs> and I actually really enjoy that part because it's like, even though I'm with my friends and having fun, I know that in the end, if something goes wrong, I just have a guardian angel right there to come <laughs> to my rescue. <laughs> Anything, if my 14, if I eat something wrong and one of my 14 allergies decides to go crazy on me, I know that you're right there. So it was actually, it's always really nice to know that I have someone a block away that's going to save me <laughs> like a superhero. To be honest, I don't want to do the hard part of being an independent teenager. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so it was always nice to have someone there. But like at the same time, it, I feel like it was important that that um, that the fire hotel trip happened because college is in less than a month. And I realized that soon I'm going to have to be doing stuff like that on my own. I'm just going to be thrown into it. But now I realize it's not going to be my first rodeo. You'll always be a call away. I could always call you after what happened so that I could be like, oh, my God, mom, the craziest thing just happened. I just almost died again. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Call, call at the middle of the night. All parents know it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I always had faith that you can do it, but it's just it's just part and parcel of the whole um, experience of being a parent where you feel you have to instill certain ideals in a child. You have to rear them. You have to help them along the line. And um, I'm sure you'll be fine in college. It's such a mixed feeling because I'm proud of you. I want you to go on. I want you to flourish, spread your wings, but at the same time, I'm going to miss you <laughs> so much. But I'll miss this you is, too. Aw, I, I'm very, I'm very confident that you'll be fine, and I'm, I'm just so proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> oh wow, their relationship is just like Iana described in the story. Yeah, I love hearing from moms. That was so sweet. If you want to hear more from moms, get ready for our next episode because it's all about parents. And then I hear him sniffle. And I kind of look up 
and there's just tears streaming down his face. Just seeing his little girl crying, he didn't even really know why, made him cry. That's it for this episode. Remember, no matter how old you are, you're never fully grown. Aliza Cosme is a multimedia storyteller passionate about using the power of storytelling for social good. And the last time she stepped out of her comfort zone was when she rode the Thunderbolt on Coney Island. Fonzo Lacayo is a passionate creative from the Bronx who appreciates the art of storytelling and self-expression. The last time he stepped out of his comfort zone is when he tried crocodile bites for the first time and liked them. Grown is a production of The Moth. Our senior editor is Sarah Jane Johnson, and our senior producer is Mark Sollinger. That's me. With support from our artistic team, including Jody Powell, Suzanne Rust, and Sarah Austin Janess. D'Avian Walter's story was directed by Casey Donahue, and Iana Banfield's story was directed by Jody Powell, with instruction help by Julian Goldhagen and Shayna Creaney. This podcast wouldn't be possible without our education team. Melissa Brown, Jonathan Cabral, Devin Elise Wilson, and Anna Stern as well as our instructors, past and present. To learn more about the Moth's education programs for young adults and educators, visit themoth.org edu. Mixing is by Davy Sumner with original music and sound design by Davy Sumner. Sarah D. Michelle makes original illustrations for each episode of Grown's second season. You can see them on our website, grownpod.com. Special thanks to all those who contributed their voices. The rest of the Moss leadership team includes Sarah Haberman, Jennifer Hickson, Meg Bowles, Kate Tellers, Marina Cliche, Brandon Grant Walker, Leanne Gully, and Aldi Casa. All Moss stories are true, as remembered and affirmed by their storytellers. For more about Grown, go to grownpod.com. Grown is presented by PRX, the public radio exchange. Ever wonder why we want to tell complete strangers our personal secrets? Or what a CIA spy can teach you about keeping things close to the chest? Read about this and see other fascinating articles on secrets in Grown's Pocket Collection. Pocket is a website and app that finds the most thought-provoking articles from trusted sources all around the internet and puts them in one place. With Pocket, you can keep and find new articles to read, save articles for later, and even have your saved articles read aloud to you. If you want to dig deeper into this secret-worthy episode of Grown, head over to Pocket and check out our collection at getpocket.com grown.